God and hear from God and maybe even experience God in and through music. But I wonder why, for so many of us, it's only through certain types of music. It's only through certain types of music that we say God speaks to me or God spoke to us. Or it's only through certain, uh, maybe, um, experiences we've had in church that that's really the only way that God can speak to us through music. And I think you've started to notice that we try very hard in chapel to have a broad range of music and experience and how people and traditions and different churches express their worship to God through song. I, I googled in uh, BibleGateway.com, do a word search for the word sing. I was like, well, I should probably grab a few Bible verses to support my point. But after looking through hundreds of them, I'm like, which one do I pick? Scripture is filled with different cultures and different groups singing praises to God in different ways and in different styles, worshiping God and God revealing himself to them through different styles of music. So why do we limit ourselves to hearing from God when it comes to a certain style of music? Last Saturday night, I was sitting at the ENC table for United Night of Worship, and I saw uh, Zenzo's email this morning. Uh, the city of Boston is uh, calculating that they had over 10,000 people at United Night of Worship. And we give God praise for that. That's wonderful. But I need to tell you, it was three hours, three and a half hours of singing. And after an hour, I was like, oh, Jesus, please. I'm too tired, Lord. I can't go anymore. But it's amazing that some of you, like, you're just warming up. (laughs) And it was a beautiful time of praise. And we need to be careful that we don't dismiss culture. Often in these worship wars and often in, in, in the worship wars, we talk about church music and the music that should be sung and expressed. We often dismiss types of music or styles. And we need to be very careful that we don't dismiss culture when we do that. We must be very careful that we don't dismiss a background or, or a theology of, that the expression of the worship is, is rooted in something much deeper than maybe you understand. And that God is speaking through that. Many Westerners think that emotionalism is a manipulation. I heard Gabriel Saguero say this week, many Westerners think emotionalism in worship is manipulation, but that is not true in multicultural churches. Multicultural churches embrace emotionalism and intellectualism. And so we must be very careful that we don't dismiss something because it's a little different than what we're used to or what we're comfortable with. When we were pastoring a very small church on Long Island, we were, had started the church and we were only there for a few years. And we finally had a worship leader that was helping us. We finally found someone that could dedicate his time. And he was an African-American gentleman. And uh, he came in and was in the gospel tradition. And he was trying to teach us uh, a lot of his tradition. And we were struggling. And he loved us. And we loved him. And it became a great, just a great friendship, a great part of our church family. And he, he passed away suddenly one morning, a massive heart attack. And that morning, Edie was leading the worship. And as she sat at the piano, she led us in a Brooklyn Tabernacle song. And I don't remember the specific song, but I remember we were a community in mourning and we didn't sing really well. And now our worship leader, Donald, is gone. And, and yet we were singing praises to God and uh, struggling through music and struggling to sing through tears. It was probably a pathetic sound, actually. That afternoon, we went, as we often did, to the Brooklyn Tabernacle service, their 3 o'clock or 3.30 service, and uh, I have friends in the choir and was looking forward to seeing them. Wouldn't you know, at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sang the same exact song that afternoon that we had sung that morning in church. 
Now, we were a church of maybe 30 or 40 at that time. And remember, we're, we're mourning, we're grieving, and we're struggling through the song. Then we hear the 250-voice choir from Brooklyn Tabernacle sing a song. And Edie was to my left, and she grabs my arm and pulls me down so I could, she could whisper in my ear. She says, now we can never sing that song again in our church. <laughs> it was just so good. It was just so beautiful. But, you know, God really delighted in that small church that was mourning. When they struggled through that song, God was just as pleased when we sang it as he was when Brooklyn Tabernacle sang it. So let us not dismiss, let us not dismiss different styles or different types of music just because it's not what we are comfortable with. I got a call a few weeks ago from a a Methodist church, a local Methodist church that's been without a pastor for quite some time. And I, I could tell from talking to the woman that she struggled to find people to supply the pulpit, as we say, to preach and have people come in and do music. And I just have a real passion for smaller churches and struggling churches and churches that are dying. And I said, well, I'd be happy to come and, and preach for you. I'm going to be preaching there this week. And I went to visit a couple weeks ago, and there were eight people in the congregation of a, a beautiful sanctuary that seats about 200, 250. And the average age was about 75. And uh, at the end of the service, and it was, it was disjointed. The service was, they had a guest speaker and didn't really connect with anything. It was just kind of a little uncomfortable. And at the end of the service, they gather in the middle of the hallway, right here, right, right down the middle aisle. And they all hold hands, and we sang a song in closing. And as I'm holding their hands and we're singing in this circle, I was thinking to myself, and this is true, this is the most awkward experience of my life. That's just what it was. I I know you thought I was going to say spiritual and blessed. It was uncomfortable. (laughs) But this little community of eight people, a dying church, was still singing praise to God. We need to give God praise for that. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when Ann Van Hine was here? She talked about she no longer prays that the Holy Spirit be present or the Holy Spirit go before because the Holy Spirit is always present. She prays, oh Lord, may their eyes be open to your presence. May their ears be open to what you have for them. Open their eyes, Lord. Open their ears. That is my prayer for you as we gather together for worship, not only today, but for every chapel. And I'm wanted to take this few moments just for a teaching moment to encourage you regardless of who is standing before us leading us in worship through song or speaking to us regardless of their christian tradition or their background or their culture god is speaking through them don't put barriers up to what god is trying to say to you we just heard a song in acapella i guess that's called nine parts i don't okay good thanks dr smith um, so today, for the first time in chapel, since I've been chaplain, do you know there are certain Christian traditions that don't use instruments at all when they worship? They just use their voices. So this morning, our chair of the music department, Dr. Kevin Smith, is going to come and lead us, and we are going to worship together uh, by singing hymns of our faith, and we're going to do so a cappella. Will you please stand as Dr. Smith comes and leads us? Early in the 
shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Sent him to die, I ask 
Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. My Jesus, I Pardon on Calvary. 
for prayer and scripture. Our scripture this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 1 through 13. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying laying on of my hands. For God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. 
not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace, which, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus, the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Eternal, most everlasting Father, we come before you thanking you for this day, God. We thank you for this time, God, that has been set aside to come to worship you, God. And not only worship you, God, but worship and praise you, Father. Lord, we thank you right now for everyone that's in this place, Father. I pray that you touch every heart, God, that you touch every mind, Father. Lord, that whatever we may be going through during this time, Father, Lord, that we just set it aside, God. And, Lord, we'll be able to hear your word this morning through your servant, God. We thank you right now for Corey. We ask right now that you touch him, O oh God, in mind, body, and soul, God. Continue to strengthen him and keep him, Father. Lord, bless his family right now, Father. Lord, we pray this in all and everything, God. We just honor and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Wonderful. Good job. I always appreciate Anita and when she prays and when she reads the word, woman of God, and power when she reads. And uh, for our guest, uh, she was wearing that t-shirt in my honor, knowing that I'm a big Run DMC fan. So thank you uh, for blessing me today uh, by that. Well, today is a red carpet uh, Friday. We have several guests visiting us today. Will you please welcome them? Uh, visiting school day. In the passage that Anita read this morning, it is the last letter from the Apostle Paul. He is in prison and he knows he is going to die there. He knows in many ways this is his last letter. These are his last words. And if we ever think about that, what would your last words be at this place in your life? Just think about that for a moment. What would you journal? What would you write? And what Paul does is he writes to Timothy, who he mentored and discipled, who, who he prayed for and, and, and cared for and continually invested in his life. And now he has these final words to this young man who's, who's, who he's been discipling. These are his final words to him. And he says, fan into flames the gift of God which is in you. Fan into flames the word of God that is in you. It's a, it's a word of encouragement. It's a word of hope. It's a word of blessing. Yes, mentors are so critical to our spiritual life. Having a mentor is so critical to our spiritual journey. We see that throughout the scriptures. And as Paul is concluding his life by writing Timothy to tell him to fan into flames, may it serve as a reminder of the power of being discipled and also discipling. I'm sure you've heard, maybe many of you have heard the statement, everyone must have a Paul and everyone must have a Timothy. Everyone must have a Paul that is investing in your life and praying for you and caring for you. But you also must have someone, even at your young age, you must have someone in your life that you are discipling, that you are praying for, that you are caring for. That person may or may not be younger than you. I know several in this room who, who are a witness and a testimony and a, and, a, and a mentor in many ways to many of the members of their family because some of you are the first ones in your family, the first ones in your family to come to know Christ. And you are discipling and mentoring and living out the gospel in their presence. 
Yes, having a mentor is so critical to our spiritual walk, to our spiritual journey. One of my dearest mentors is a, is a man by the name of John Paul. He's now in his 80s. And when we moved to the North Shore of Long Island to start a church, we didn't have a place to meet. And uh, I just wanted to introduce myself to all the pastors. So I sent a, a letter to every pastor in what we call the Three Village Community. Stony Brook and Setauket and East Setauket. I sent a letter to every pastor asking if I could meet with them because I just wanted to let them know I'm not trying to steal people from your church. I did discover, however, some pastors did want to give me some of their members to help start the church. But really, only one pastor responded, and this was John Paul Hankins, pastor of Stony Brook United Methodist. He's the only one that responded to my request. And as I sat to meet with him and talk to him, and he describes this meeting now as he describes that meeting to me and what that meant to him. He, he talks about, as you sat across from me and I heard your heart and your passion to start a church, I knew you did not come with a spirit of competition, but a spirit to build God's kingdom. And I just knew at that moment I was going to help you, and he did. We couldn't find a place to meet, so he allowed us to use their church on Sunday evenings for a few years at no charge. Anytime, anytime there was a big event where there was a time to gather together as a community, he knew we were a smaller community, so he invited us. Uh, on 9-11, that night they had a prayer service, and he was intentional about inviting us and having me co-lead it with him. And all along the way, even though I wasn't in the Methodist church, he, was, he allowed me to take part in every single important event in the life of the church, and when he wasn't there, I preached for him. And he's just such a powerful mentor in my life. And I am absolutely convinced if I went on to tell you all the things that he has meant to me and all the things that he has taught me, I would not be here today without him. I even had to call him last week and ask for his advice on something. Mentors are so important. And I just want to encourage and stress that you must have a mentor, someone that is discipling and investing in your life. In many ways, that is already happening in this community. Your professors are mentoring, are discipling you by teaching you, by educating you. Be a good steward of that gift. Fan it into flames. Don't waste it. Don't waste the way they're investing in your life, the opportunity you have been given. Paul is saying you must fan it into flame. It must become a a fire within you. I'm going to send out one more email reminder later this afternoon of discipleship groups that are led by faculty and staff. These are individuals that are willing to take additional time out of their schedule to invest in you, to pray for you, to care for you. And I want to encourage you to consider being a part of that. So for this reason, Paul writes to Timothy, for this reason... Fan into flame. Well, what reason? For this reason, you have come to faith in Christ. He talks about that in in verse 5. At first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure the faith of God dwells in you. So many in this room have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Many of you have done that in these last few weeks here in chapel. Many of you have have done it praying with with members in your dorm room or fellow, fellow classmates. So you have come to know Christ. And Timothy, Paul is saying to Timothy, I give God praise for that, what God has done in your life. And because of that, because of that, I now encourage you to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you. It's not about earning your salvation. It's not about having to do these works righteousness. Now I got all these things I have to do to make sure I get in it. It's not about that. It's about allowing the power of God through his Holy Spirit to work and be manifest in your life. So fan into flames the gift of God which is in you. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once sent this message to all those under him. He writes, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. The tendency of a fire is to go out, so watch the fire on the altar of your heart. I think it would be a great movie if they ever did either a documentary or a film on city kids that go to camp. I was a city kid, would go to camp every year, 
my friends from an urban context, we'd see a deer, we'd be terrified. <laughs> we'd see a turtle and take off. We were, just, we were just scared. We were just scared. Never take a city kid and put him around a campfire with a lighter and a can of hairspray. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Because we would just grab hairspray. Hey, we got to start the fire, get some hairspray and a lighter. And that's how we'd start the fire. And almost blow our hands off at the same time. It really was amazing. This powerful flame would come out of the can and you'd hope the flame wouldn't go up into the can and explode in your hand. But we would start, start the fire that way. And sometimes I think that's the way we are in our spiritual journey. We need this big flame, this big moment, this big experience that we even manifest on our own. And call that spiritual growth and spiritual health and discipleship. And, but if I'd watched kids that had experience with fires or were in the Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts, you'd see they start with a small flame and then get on their knees and begin to, to blow or put wind onto the fire and get a larger flame and a larger flame. And it would grow and grow and grow. See, I think too many of us in our spiritual journey, we go and jump from one mountaintop experience, if you will, one powerful experience, one giant flame of fire. But the daily living out of our faith is where we struggle. So Paul's saying, fan into flame the gift of God which is given you. It's every day. It's an everyday faithfulness. I don't know if many of you read Oswald Chambers, but one of his devotionals this week, and I always get angry with Oswald Chambers because he always challenges me and angers me and points out where I'm struggling, and I just, he's been dead for a long time, but I still get angry with him. And I was angry with him earlier this week when he writes, the height of the mountaintop is measured by the dismal drudgery of the valley. The height of the mountaintop is measured by the dismal drudgery of the valley, but it is in the valley But it is in the valley that we have to live for the glory of God. It is in the valley that we have to live for the glory of God. Our spiritual journey cannot be these high mountaintop experiences. And I know that's where some of the criticism comes from, from high energy worship or emotionalism. If if that's all that it is, if it's just getting you from Sunday to Sunday and you're not living faithfully in the everyday drudgery of the valley, if you will, you are not fanning into flame the gift of God which is in you. It is that everyday faithfulness. So how do we do that? You've heard me stress over and over and over again in this chapel, please find a church community. Please find a church community. Please find a church community. I know you go to chapel twice a week, and I I get that, and I know there are discipleship groups, and I, I understand that, but please find a church community, especially after you leave college. We've talked a lot about how people your age are leaving the church by the millions and the church continues to suffer, at least here in the West, of young people like yourselves leaving. And I just want to encourage and strengthen you. The greatest way to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you is to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of a church community where you are not only discipled and mentored, but where you too can serve, where you too can go out into community and advance God's kingdom. So be part of a church community. We need to incorporate spiritual disciplines and and, and we can... Those are a whole another series of sermons. But there are a lot of opportunities here in this community, whether it's discipleship groups or chapel or ministry opportunities, to fan in the flame the gift of God which is in you. Will you be faithful to do that? Paul was not the type of mentor that just gave these easy, positive statements, you know. It's not a good mentor if it's always, oh, you're doing so great, I'm so proud of you. And those are important, but there also must be that challenging word in your life, you know. 
Do you remember Addison's testimony last week? I'm sorry for our guests, but our baseball coach gave a testimony last, uh, last week and talked about how he had a friend that just called him out. Called him out and said, you know, you're not living the Christian life anymore. I even wonder if you're a Christian. You, you have so turned from God and your life is not glorifying God in any way. Can I tell you that it is obvious from that statement to him that she loved him and cared for him. That is what a, a mentor, a disciple, a, a friend on the journey should be. Are you that to one another? Will you challenge one another if you see your friend not living or maybe even completely turning from God? Will you, will you challenge them? Paul would challenge, would challenge Timothy and encourage him. In, in 1 Timothy, we see it more than we do in 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.18, fight the battle well. 5.21, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Mentors are to disciple and challenge. Keep this command without spot or blame, we read in 6.14, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must challenge one another. We're here to support and care for one another, and sometimes that's with a challenging word. I was in seminary, and I, it was my first year, and I, I've shared with you recently how that first year was tough, as I had to relearn how to study and be a student and, and work through all of that, and I ended up doing well, and I give God praise for that. But there was a point where I kept complaining. Every time this professor saw me, Corey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, Dr. Shaver, well, I'm, I'm suffering for Jesus. I, I just, uh, you know, I, I love God, and, uh, but um, I'm just suffering. That went on for months. Discouragement, always down, always negative. And I'll never forget the day he said, Corey, you cannot live like this anymore. You cannot live like this anymore. Every time I chat with you, you're always down, you're always discouraged. Yet God's doing tremendous things in your life. If you're discouraged, if you're depressed, then let's find someone for you to talk to and work through it. But you cannot continue like this. I needed that word. I needed that challenge so the flame, the the light of God would be made brighter in my life. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. And I needed that challenging word. Fan into flame the gift of God. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We fan it into flames so the Spirit of God can work in us. We fan into flames. You've accepted Christ. Now fan it into flames again, not to earn salvation, but so that the power of God through His Spirit can give you power, love, and self-discipline. Allow the power of God to do that. I struggled a little bit. Why is love not first? Power, love, and self-discipline. I don't think I'm looking too deeply into it, but I was just wondering. It seems a little odd to me. Power, love, and self-discipline. And then I started to think about what is the power the Spirit of God gives us? It is the power to live like Christ, to give things up and lay things down. The power of God, the power of the Spirit of God is is in us and can give us that power to give things up and lay things down the same way Christ gave His life for you. The same way Christ laid down His life for you. That is the power of the Spirit at work in you. We must have Christ first in all that we do and everything in life. And to do that, as we journey along, there are things we're going to need to let go of. There are things we're going to need to give up. There are things we're going to need to leave behind. So I challenge you, are you fanning into flame the gift of God which is in you? Are you being faithful to that? And see, here's why I think power was first and love was second. Is that I don't believe that we can love unless we're first willing to lay down and give things up. Our own desires. 
The desire to be first in the relationship. See, I don't think I can love my family if I'm wanting to be first. So I need to lay that down. I need to have the power of the Spirit of God working in it, within me. And if the power of the Spirit of God is within me, and I trust in the Spirit of God to give me the strength to give up the desires that I have, to give up the desires of my heart and my life, then I will have the power to love as Christ loved. So fan into flames the gift of God which is in you. Fan into flames so the Spirit and the power of God can help you give up those things that are holding you back, or holding you hostage, or holding you bondage. Fan into flames the gift of God and the Spirit of God will be at work in you to lay those things down and give those things up. Then we are able to love others. That hymn is right. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Following the example of Christ. Following the example of Christ and giving our all for God so that we might then be able to love. Power, love, and self-discipline. And this one's a tough one for me. Self-discipline. But it is the deciding factor. It is the deciding factor on if we are able to have the power of Christ and the love of God within us. I love my wife. I don't know. I haven't shared the story in a little while. I know faculty and staff have heard it before. I'll never forget the moment I fell in love with her. We were put out together on a blind date. And, well, I guess it wasn't a blind date. We had met once before, and uh, she really wanted to date me at that time, but I was like, no, I can't. Uh, Sorry, I just... <laughs> That's a lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> we met briefly at a wedding once, and then several months later, someone tried to... They put us together on a, a, a date, and uh, we were going to see uh, your good man, Charlie Brown, at Kansas City First Church in the Nazarene, the Broadway of Kansas City. <laughs> and I was sitting in, standing in the church foyer waiting, to, waiting for her to arrive, and... There she was, just coming down the steps, kind of hopping like she does when she comes down the steps. And I'm telling you, I heard the angels sing. And everything else got dark, and this bright light shone around her. And then she stumbled and fell down the stairs, which was interesting. <laughs> which was interesting. It kind of got in the way of the moment. <laughs> she didn't fall. That's a lie, too. She didn't fall down the stairs. I don't know if it's love at second sight, but that was a great and powerful night. And I don't mean to brag, but she did go home that weekend. And when she, I'm not lying on this one, right? She, she's so angry right now. <laughs> she walked in the door and said, Dad, I think I found the man I'm going to marry. Am I right? She's right. Thank you. So that, that part is true. <laughs> So I needed to marry her quick before her mind changed, you know. And uh, so it was a wonderful, beautiful start. That great, we love telling that story. I love telling that story. She hates when I tell it. But that's not the point. There is a self-discipline that is required then and even now in my life if I'm continuing to love her and my children the way God wants me to. There's still a letting, down, a letting go and laying down things and, and making sure she and, and the kids are in the place they should be in my life. God first and, and family before everything else. I need to have discipline. Listen to me, guys. I need to have discipline in what I see and what I watch. All of us. Everyone listen just for a moment. We need to have discipline 
with our eyes and with our bodies and with our hearts and with our minds. That is how I continue to love her. It was a great start. But it's that daily living out of being faithfulness and the self-discipline in the, in the everyday. That's how it is in a relationship and that's how it is with our relationship with God. Paul is saying, fan into flames this gift of God which is given you. Fan into flames the fact that, that God, Christ has died for you. Now, now live your life. You've accepted him as Christ. Now surrender to him as Lord. And allow the power of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit to fall upon you so that you may live a life that glorifies him in everything you do and everything that you say. So you have accepted Christ as your Savior. And we give God praise for that. But now you must walk. Now you must journey in the everyday. And there will be these high mountaintop experiences and you will give God praise for all that he's doing. But there is most, most of the time it will be this daily living out. This daily living out of being faithful in word and thought and deed. This daily surrendering. This daily letting go. Trusting in the power of the spirit. And having the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines to live a life that glorifies God. Do you trust in the Spirit of God to help you lay down whatever you need to lay down? Do you trust in the Spirit of God to give you the power to overcome that battle you're facing right now? Do you trust in the Spirit of God to give you the strength to do exceedingly more than you can ever hope or imagine? The Spirit of God can give you that power. Like Dr. Shaver told me, he said, Corey, you know, if you're discouraged and you need help or you're depressed or something, let's get you some help. And there are people like that even here on this campus that can help you if that's, that's where you are. I know it's not always, it doesn't always happen in a moment in a prayer like me lighting that, that hairspray and that, that lighter. It's, it doesn't just always happen in a, uh, this huge explosion of the fire falling and then there's no more struggles. It's this daily living out. And there are people to help you with that, to disciple you, to mentor you. Don't waste your time here. Don't waste your time here. Fan into flames the gift that God has given you. It is the Spirit of God that saves us, and it is the Spirit of God that sustains us. So fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. You see, as we look at what Paul is saying to Timothy in his closing words, his last words to him in this book, fan into flame the gift of God. We need to be so dependent upon the Spirit of God in our lives and all that we do. We really do need thee every hour. We really do need the Spirit of God every hour, so fan into flames the gift of God that has been given to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I am still overwhelmed with joy when I've heard of students in this community making commitments to Christ in these first few weeks. Oh, I give you praise and glory. I give you praise and honor for those that made commitments last month or last school year or last summer or 20 years ago or five years ago, whenever it was. We give you praise for that. Now, may we be followers. May we be disciples that fan into flame this gift you have given us. May we be good stewards of it. May we be a community where, where this power of the Spirit of God is at work in all of us. Father, I pray for all of us, uh, faculty, staff, administration as well, that we be the mentors and disciples that this student body needs. And I pray for each student now that whether it's someone here or someone at a church, Lord, that they find people that invest in their lives to encourage and pray for and strengthen and maybe even speak a challenging word from time to time. Come, Holy Spirit, we need thee. Every hour we need thee. Be glorified, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.
as a song of response to close this week of chapels before the weekend begins and revival next week with Dr. Mary Paul. Let us sing in response and sing together the doxology. Please stand. Praise God from whom all blessings